Matthew chapter 11, a quick verse. And it's inserted in an interesting way, but basically Jesus is saying in his time, there's a lot going on. I am the Prince of Peace, but it's not a peaceful place that I've come to. Peace is available to those who trust in me, but until that time, this is the matter of fact. And so he says this in right here. Give me a second. Um, verse 12. He's commending John the Baptist. We remember that John the Baptist was doing his job up to the time in which he was taken captive. Interesting to note. Godly men doing godly purposes can be taken captive. Not necessarily caught off guard, but actually by guard and to no longer influence can be apprehended. These days we see are upon us. Other nations experiencing it more. We less, but headed in that direction. Canada for sure. Shouldn't be, but it is. The word, though, continues to say this. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, notice this, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It both suffers violence. It is the antagonism of men and rejecting God and rebelling against the spiritual life that is intended for them. It is also marking in reference here a warfare that we are involved in. And just because you see armies, you cannot disassociate that from spiritual forces of wickedness and at the same time, spiritual forces of righteousness that you cannot see. You can't dismiss that. When you see an army, you need to understand it's a representation of what we are allowed to take note of. Prayerfully, the armies we see are mustered both with efficiency and intellect, humility, and a desire only to defend if necessary, not to offend simply because of some willful, maniacal person established in authority by force over a people group. That was never the intention of government. Government is an institution that was established by God for civil peace, obedience. It was never intended to oppress. It was always intended to be a picture of a kingdom that one day would be in order, putting things, all things that were at one time in disorder back into holy alignment and I might say, holy alliance. So this is an important phrase to understand. Jesus said it then. He would say that to us right now. There's a war going on. There was a war going on against John, who spoke truth, who spoke about me, who resigned his ministry for me. And there was violence that was intended Upon my life, Jesus would say, from the time that he introduced himself to the public as the Son of God, he was marked as a man to be taken out. Therefore, nations who espouse God, 
those who desire within the church and as ambassadors of the Lord, they will be marked by the enemy to be taken out. Whatever means weakness, we have them, don't we? Arrogance, we've been there, haven't we? Arrogance represents a strength protecting pride. Weakness can be anything. It can be the things that are simply frail in us, our character. You know, we measure ourselves against other people. We think less of ourselves than what God has demonstrated towards us by the cross that not only we face off with, but also the word of God, which is to reflect everything that God thinks of us to the highest capacity. We're to dismiss those things that have been highly critical of us, the very individual that God says, my eye is upon you. I was asking this question last night to Everest, and it was an interesting one, but it does play into even moving just a little bit beyond this to the contemporary language of today. And the question was, how do you see the cross? Is it a small cross to you? So on evaluation, one would be able to say, well, well, yes. Well, yes, it is. That is a big cross. This is a small cross. But what if I said to you, switch it, that actually you're seeing a big cross at quite a distance away. And a sheave that's almost the size of it, it's not getting in the way of it. It seems to be as if it was gathered precisely to the power and to ultimately the purpose of that cross, a gathering. See, I look at that cross as that's in the distance. And the next step that I take gets me closer to where what I will see is that, much bigger. I've got a distance to go. What's the distance to go? The distance to go is until the Lord calls me home. I have footsteps to take I have strength to be able to exude for the Lord, weaknesses to confess to God for the purpose of being changed by Him, by the Spirit of God within me. I look at that altogether differently. That's not the, a wrong way per se. That's not the point that I'm making. But perspective is what I'm trying to turn you towards. You see, there's a vertical work of God and it's for the church to bring us up to him. And any whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is one of the battle strategies. It is Satan to prevent one person more to accept God on his terms. Israel, which is what we need to understand, is at play here along with the church, two forces which the Lord would say are of me, for me, and I will deliver them. Israel's being moved on a horizontal plane. Their tension is the horizontal plane in life. For the scriptures tell us they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. The tension that they feel is to come back to the place that God says is that which I've given to Abraham, that which I reasserted to Isaac, that which I committed and pledged as well to Jacob. That which I purposed through the lineage of David to bring ultimately that he would have one seated on the throne and that one that would be seated on the throne for eternity is the Lord Jesus. It's a huge cross 
that gets larger and more precise as we walk towards it, then we see actually how big it is and how much God has intended to do with it. The vertical plane is what the church is to be about. We do that by being here. We do that by being in here. We do that by our devotions that can be in a variety of positions that the Lord liberates us to enjoy. I've always been fascinated with the college crew because they find these little niches for their devotional time. Some of them in here in the early morning at 6.30. Some of them go out into areas in the mountainside. They know roads that you wouldn't be hearing from me if I took those roads. Even with the garment, I guarantee you, I'd be lost. The next helicopter you'd hear would be a rescue of Richie Ablett that went out to do a 20 uh, 20-year-old devotional in the forest that he knows not. But these guys move in and out of forests and riverbeds. They seek God in a very special way, and they come back in here with that devotional touch and refreshment. If we have the vertical tension that God is creating and purposing for the church, and we have this horizontal plane in which all of Israel ultimately is being attracted once again towards its home nation, the place that God has promised he would bring them, there's another tension that we cannot forget, and that is the earthly carnal, or if you would, demonic tension. It's the very one that destabilizes. It's the one that Satan is all about. He has access to heaven, but his welcome mat is now getting taken thread by thread away from his ability to enter into that fellowship. And actually all he's there for is to taunt us. That's it. He taunts God the Father, the Lord, about, wow, what a fine pick you've made. Look at Richard now. So this tension, both vertically, horizontally, and ultimately in the carnal plane of humanity, has ramifications to it. If you'll move over, Jesus says this, and I want to be able to as well convince us through this word what you're seeing today. We don't want to see it. We didn't plan on seeing it. We've come out of a predicament which has been notated as a pandemic in which so many things that we did contrary to what our generational parents and grandparents did before us, which was write it out, wash your hands, eat well, get your rest, take what medicine is available, but others test and prove it as it is evidenced. And so we had a basically a tear of what do we do, what do, what do we ought not do. And I believe the Lord's patching and repairing all of that. But it was, I believe, incited. I believe it was released, both with malice, and I believe the consequences that have been underreported or overinflated have been all used to create fear it's also been used as a means by which government has overasserted itself. And I believe the test has been, what are we willing to do? 
when there is a world power, when there is a governance over us that subjects us to certain demands. Compliance is fine, but when all of a sudden it moves towards centering itself on the church and saying, you can't believe anymore in God, and you actually cannot worship in that place or among anyone again, that's contrary to our civil ways. That's contrary to now our biases. Jesus says this, and this is where I'm going to pick it up. It's where we ought to know that Jesus predicted it. He said in chapter 24 of Matthew concerning this great building structure that we've been studying back in now 1 Kings. As he goes out in verse 1 of 24, and departed from the temple, his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, mind you, this is to be highly regarded. It is to actually cause us to wonder how magnificent this was. Not necessarily more magnificent than Solomon's temple. Probably not, but to Herod, probably so. Because he was the one that built it. Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these, or do you not see all of these things? Question mark. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Why is this important? Because this is a fact that he saw. It would be a prophetic utterance that he was quite aware of. In approximately 40 years, at this tenure, he does not have all that much time to speak truth and to change hearts and to heal people. He's in his latter area right now of ministry. So about 40 years from this word, indeed Jerusalem was assaulted by Rome under Titus AD 70. The church would have experienced at that time one of the final pushes from that area. It's been qualified by up to 10 or 15 years, the diaspora, it's when actually there's just this move to both send the church out, but also the scattering of the Jews that will take place once again over all of the areas locally, but even further than that, in what we would call the regions now of the Asia Minor countries and basically up north, which would be Russia and Croatia, any of those what you would call uh, Caucasian uh, Asian countries, that is one of the things that happened as a result of this. Jesus, though, says this with regard to that event, which did happen, provable. He says, these are things about the signs and times that you need to know. So we go down to verse 3, and it says, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him, privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's not bad questioning. But it's an anxiousness right now that they be proven right in their time. Jesus was having to clarify things with regard to this is the beginning of the urgency that you have, but the satisfaction is not going to come as of yet. But they did say a couple of things that certainly are right. They notated his coming. 
they yet could not comprehend his going. He had been honest with them that he would die. He would be taken into custody, judged maliciously, killed. But he said to them, but on the third day I'm going to arise. This in advance right now, this conversation in advance and of the night that he would enjoy a final supper with them, a song moving towards the Mount of Olives, and ultimately exasperated in prayer towards his betrayal that led to all of that. But he wants to reassure them of the conditions of the times. Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars. Note this, how contemporary it sounds. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It's not over yet. They must come to pass. Meaning, they will come upon us and they will pass away. They will leave with it a consequence, a time in which we recover from it, but that time in which it marks the coming of the Lord. It's only a marker right now. We keep it tucked. In 19, I believe 80, I was in Grants Pass, so I would have just begun my freshman year in college, close to it or right around there. I kind of waffled a little bit in completing that degree. But all of a sudden the skies became gray and I think you know what happened. That great mountain in Washington blew and ash was settling on any car that was out and it was unbelievable. Though we could not see it, we saw the evidence of it. Those closer by experienced the consequence. Either way, it had an effect. One with great trauma, the other with great nuisance. We today are more nuisanced right now than experiencing the consequence not being as close to that event as some others were. Lives were lost. Landscape was changed, really forever. Jesus said that there would be those kinds of events, tremors of the earth. We call them earthquakes. But it would not be without exclusion to the buildup of pressure within the earth, which we call volcanoes. God has held back. Many others have been released. We've seen that in the Hawaiian Islands. A lot of real estate was lost to the violence of volcanic activity in which lava spewed and torched residential areas that were in the multi-million dollar price range. They gained land, but they lost, in some ways, what people never could have assumed would have happened to them. We forget easily Tidal waves, we had one that actually had its consequence on these shores, and I believe it was March of 2011, as I recall. Boats got slammed in the harbor here, those that didn't get pulled out. 
wasn't as bad as another one that came 30 years earlier. I think there was one in the 60s that took Crescent City. These are signs. The closer you are to them, the reality is much more stark. But the further away still gives you an advantage going, ah, there's something weird going on here. And there is in this the convulsion of the planet Earth, not because of oil drilling, not because of garbage bags that have been not put into the right recyclable containers, not because of duck hunters or fishermen, not because of any of that. They are things internal that are groaning and are releasing, and they are markers of the times that Jesus said would be for signs to know that he's coming soon. What do we do with that? Well, what we do is we post tsunami signs and we say, when you see this, hear this, that sound, flee to the mountains. We have mountains here? And then we're all calculating, let's see, 300 feet, 400 feet, how many feet above sea level am I? How big can those waves get? Can I surf those waves by chance? We really are clueless, but we know that tsunamis have been on the scene and they've horrendously destroyed property. I believe that the Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan was ultimately a consequence because of a tsunami that hit there. Most of us can go back and say, I think I remember seeing that. Devastating. Devastating. Wars, rumors of wars. We're going to hear about them. We're going to hear the consequences of them. It's going to be ugly. There's going to be death. There are going to be people that are saying, follow me. I'm the new Jesus. I'm the new guy. I'm the Christ incarnate. Sun Young Moon, South Korean called himself a minister, but he also called himself Jesus Christ. One of the most blasphemous figures in the basic commitment to fundamental Christianity, which is what he said he was, and he led so many people astray. And you'd go, how could they have been led astray in that manner? Because the bottom line is, Jesus isn't coming back as a South Korean. He's not coming back as a Caucasian. He is a Jew. He came to his people who knew him not, rejected him, and ultimately, by the sovereignty of God's hand, were simply used to deliver his son as an offering on behalf of all of us. He's not coming back as a United States citizen. He is fully God but he will always be identified with his people, the Jews. So you don't get misled. He will not come back as an African-American, no offense. He's not coming back as a Chinese, no offense. He's not coming back as an Indian, no offense. We will know him as he was known and he will know us as he's always known us. He gives us warnings, advancing, wars are coming, 
people coming in my name, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. Have you heard that we're kind of having trouble in the food chain lately? Have you looked at our grocery shelves lately? It's funny. No, it's not. It's pathetic because I get hungry and I'm going, wait a minute. That's not comforting. That aisle of food is actually missing. What's happening? Agriculturally, our seasons are getting weird. The science to agriculture is not difficult. But if, in fact, it is permitted by God and the allowance of a family, or excuse me, famine, is to draw families to him, guess what he will allow to take place? A little bit of hunger in the belly. He permitted for seven years for there to be an outpouring of blessings in the land of Egypt as he raised up one who was a Jew. Joseph was his name. He had no intentions of ever wanting to go to Egypt. In fact, he was sold there. But in a time, after 13 years, basically in confinement and being ignored, his season came in which divine wisdom and vision came to him as was prophesied. He knew the prophecy. He was brought before Pharaoh. His wisdom was inarguable. And he said, you're going to be over all of Egypt. There will be only one greater than you, and that's me. And so Joseph planned wisely for seven years, interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And in the next seven years that would take place, there would be famine, a worldwide famine. What would that worldwide famine do? It would draw his family, Jacob, Israel, to Egypt, which was prophesied to Abraham. Oh, by the way, your special people, your family, they're going to be settling up with the counts, changing a nation that's too big for its britches right now. I'm going to build in them both discipline and I'm going to raise up a lawman. So that's going to take 400 years, Abraham, but you're good. You're going to live a full life. There are extraordinary things that happen to your people, and they have happened to his people. Famines, earthquakes, various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows when they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's talking to his disciples, and he's actually talking to them specifically at this time. To the degree that once persecution hits, and it will, when Jesus was killed, a persecution hit, but the church was not diminished. It continued to grow. And every one of these disciples that would have heard this intimate warning were ultimately persecuted, brought before magistrates, and they did die a martyr's death. John appears to be the only one that did not. So when we look at that, we can say, hmm, what he said did come to pass. It's true. It's believable. It moves on to say this. There is going to be, many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. Have you, have you noticed that that's kind of one of the themes in media circles right now? Hate crimes. You're a hater. No, I'm not. I'm a man that has convictions over what's right and what's wrong, and I've voiced my convictions that are about righteousness, I do not hate anyone. Yes, you are a hater. You mean because I 
don't believe that immorality should be justified lawfully? Is that what you mean? That makes me a hater? Or does it make me a righteous man that's standing up before a righteous God who's ordered my lips to speak truth? See, it gets turned now, doesn't it? Bring Rich in. He's a hater. In fact, we just caught the message. All the other messages we've, we've kind of just tucked away somewhere in cyberspace. But that message, that's going to be an indictable message. Richard's a hater. Go pick him up. That will be a day in which people that speak truth biblically will be apprehended governmentally. Because rather than understanding what God's saying about truth, we get called those who embrace the word of God and the God of the word as liars. We're in the way. of the contemporary culture that says we will not have God. We will not have him lord over us. Move over here, though, and I'm going to direct your eyes to verse 32. The reason I need to jump there is to show you simply another prophecy, which should give us hope if you're reminding yourself of what Jesus said and, in fact, what has happened. Learn this parable from the fig tree, verse 32. Same chapter. Hasn't changed. When its branch, and it does, excuse me, the parable from the fig tree, when its branch has already come tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He's speaking now in the future generationally, but they understand that the implication concerning the parable and concerning specifically the fig tree is the nation of Israel. Now for them, they couldn't possibly make the link at that time to Israel because Israel was not imperial. Israel was actually being subdued by the Romans. It would not have made translation sense to them. We look it back now on this and we go, wait a minute. They were destroyed as a nation. They were dispersed to the four corners of the earth. What could this mean? It can only mean what history now has recorded that on May 14th, 1948, after the severity of a genocidal movement that actually killed 8 million Jews under the wickedness of Hitler, there was such an outpouring of pity that under, praise the Lord, a president that took the place of one that still is recognized as a great president, but Truman, was basically one of the architects of saying we're going to give the Jews a place to dwell and it will be their homeland. To the press and protest of what would be the Philistines or what we would know today as the Palestinians, there was still a remnant of Jews there. But all of a sudden, ships and airplanes began to bring them from the four corners of the earth out of a sense of compassion 
and obligation. They were coming from all manner of regional dialects, different languages, but guess what they never forgot? They never forgot their language. They never forgot their history. That's never been done, ever been done. This was literally a nation that was scattered so far and for so long, it would have been considered by all studies of science, cultural science, extinct, gone, never to see again. And God, got them, God brought them back with the same language. They learned. They learned how to speak with accent, once again, their Jewish language. And so this, in fact, took place. So now I'm going to ask you to move to two Old Testament books just to sum this up for you. And the reason this is being done as I did it even yesterday is that as the fig tree represents the national inheritance of Israel, you'll see another emblem that takes place. You probably have obviously been aware of it, but the olive tree represents the spiritual inheritance of Israel. They both have a national inheritance. They have a spiritual inheritance. So when you see both olive and fig, it is indicative symbolically of God looking upon his people as spiritual, intending to share the oracles of God with the nations of the world. They negated it. They passed on it. They camped on the law, but they never spoke of God and his grace and the Messiah who came for him. And the fig tree, this is awesome because when he says, this generation shall not pass. Generations, as far as we know, run mathematically, pretty predictably, between 40 years, 50 years, year of Jubilee, that can be something in which a generational release of people who were indebted are freed from their debts. They're completely forgiven, forgotten. The blessing of those who did it, God grants them. It was an important time. 70 years is a critical time. A couple of things that we can cite, but at least one in particular that I use with frequency. 70 years hath a man been given 80 of Dubai strength. It is indicative that a generation could run its course from birth to death, natality to mortality in 70 years. 80 of Dubai strength. Therefore, we also can say incrementally perhaps up to 80, could be generational. However, with Noah, who was building an ark to ultimately save his family, he was permitted to preach the gospel by constructing this boat to float 120 years. Which is it? Israel right now has marked its 73rd year as a nation. We are close, meaning that if it is by 70 years, and all we're doing is waiting the clock out until there is an affront against Israel in which their reliance upon God is absolutely essential and necessary. And the absence of the church, because we are in that process of being vertically displaced, we're not going to get dispatched over the four corners of the earth. That's being done by missions. We're going to get vertically displaced from earth by going directly to heaven. Ours will be a time of both fellowship, rich banqueting with God, and preparation ultimately to come back with him in seven years. So Rivers has been teaching that. 
on the world scene right now with upheaval, disruption, carnage, terrible things being done to innocent people, what is God doing about it? That's where I wanted to come to. And so in um, Isaiah is where I'm going to take you first. Chapter 11, verse 11, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand over again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. And I'm going to stop there to simply say, what's the second time? What does it mean? So we recall that under terrible king tyranny, and disobedience, Israel was permitted to be taken captive. That was under Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel's generation. They would be driven over 900 miles, a four-day forced march to Babylon, where those young men would stay until the termination of their life by old age, we presume, because God preserved them. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, who would have been young lads by the time these guys had come into the fullness of their offices. These guys would have been raised up to lead Israel out of captivity after their 70 years had been served. It's presumed that maybe 120,000 moved from Babylon back to Israel. That could be considered the first movement of God after a scattering of his people. What happened in the interim period? Well, eventually you know that to the time of Jesus Christ, Jerusalem was built up. Zerubbabel's temple, which again was a try at the glory and grandeur of Solomon's temple, but a great disappointment to the people would be leveled once again. But there wasn't going to be a disbursement of the people, not in that magnitude. What happened after that? You know, we talked about it, Titus coming in destroying the temple. Another disbursement, did it mean that one? My thoughts are is this. My thoughts at that destruction of the temple that Herod built and the disbursement of God's people, the ingathering that spells the second time would have been in 1948. And there's not a third time what you are seeing right now is a continuance of that ingathering, that time in which the Lord is making by his sovereign election his people reconsolidate to their land. In contemporary language, on the social, cultural, historical work right now being seen in Russia in its violence against Ukraine, there are right now approved 200,000 Jewish residents that are making their way back to Israel. It's between 140 and 200,000. They can only do that by writ, a lawful writ that says they have at least one ancestor that can be notated in the archives as from Jewish heritage. And if they have that, they get to go home. That's already being made. 130 to 200,000 that are going to be welcomed into Israel as a result of this conflict. Could God permit a conflict with consequences to take place 
in which his displacement of people will satisfy the scriptures in terms of putting them where they belong? The answer would be yes. To recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. Notice this from the four corners of the earth. It's not a third time, it's a continuance of perhaps now the second time that God has done that. Have you ever continued something that you left off of? I have as a songwriter, started a song in January, didn't finish it until June. It wasn't something new. It was completing that which I started. The Lord's completing that which he started. Go over to Jeremiah for a close. Chapter 30. Let me read this to you. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and that they shall possess it. This may be indeed implication citing what happened in Babylon, but it also, I believe, is prophetic in terms of this movement that God continues to both do and is not delinquent in satisfying these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. I have, he I have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale, alas, for that day is great. And so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is indicative of what ultimately is beginning to happen, which is the conflict of neighboring nations and ultimately what Russia will be established to do, establishing itself to do, which is to come in and basically take over the Middle East and to be in alliance with China, to be in alliance with the Northern African nations and the Middle Eastern countries surrounding Jerusalem. It's what's happening right now. In Ukraine, what you are seeing, again, is God answering as well, the rescue of his people. Ukraine is noted, and I shared this with the brothers yesterday, of having lost one million Jewish citizens in World War II. That was one million. They lost the largest chunk of any nation of that time. One million. In terms of a localized place that was not easily forgotten and so they actually have a history with tyranny they have a history with atrocity it would haunt them and it's sending them out and it's important to know that though this is hard to stomach you're seeing now either non-reaction or overreaction on the global stage of who's going to help them there are people helping at least the Jews get out, but not all of the Ukrainians are Jewish. They're appealing, help us. But in the event you didn't know, Zelensky is Jewish. 
the Ukrainian president is Jewish. Would it be any wonder that this is a type of work from the spirit of Antichrist? Maybe he's even on the scene. Chances are he's not Putin. But we know that the disposition of Putin right now is in similitude to what Antichrist will be. The only thing that we know is that probably not him because he will still have a charisma that doesn't offend. It seduces all nations to come under his charge. Their allegiance pledged to him until then his disposition changes. So I wanted to share this as what is contemporary. Why now? Why now? I mean, we've just gone through multiple famines, droughts that are killing everything, a virus that has taken lives but certainly inconvenienced us. For two, Why now? Because the Lord is summing things up in him and for him. The church is aligned vertically. Israel is being brought in horizontally. And the work of Satan is still to subordinate culture and foist rebellion against God and the work of the church. The church has a purpose right now, but we're vertically aligned in how we achieve it. Israel has a purpose by God that's ultimately to come back to his land that he has given to them to habitate it and ultimately submit to Messiah who came. Those who understand that who are Jews become what? They become Christians. They become a part of this family. They go up with us. But the Jews will be left and they will be protected by God and they ultimately will make a decision for God. So there's things to both be excited about, even as it may frustrate us and as it also may cause anxiety. If you look at it in scriptures, basically the Lord says time is short. Time is short. We don't know fully what Russia will be capable of doing, but we do have evidence that their intentions are being frustrated. Who's doing that? God, probably. And a rising up of a national unity to prevent themselves from losing sovereignty. So we need to pray for them. 